This is Out of Office for August 2016. Our future trends for the out of office worker. Welcome to the Out of Office podcast, where you'll learn how to work from virtually anywhere by using the internet for greater convenience, comfort, and freedom. Your hosts are Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira. Hello, Chris. How are you? I'm really well, Gihan, but I'm a bit cold. How about you? <laughs> yes, it is a bit cold in Perth. I've been travelling a bit recently, and I went to, in the last week, I've been to Melbourne, which was cold, and then Bangkok, Brisbane, and the Gold Coast, which weren't. And so when I came back to Perth, I thought, oh, well, maybe this is just normal for a Perth winter, but, but you tell me that it's been colder than usual. It has been, it has. So welcome home, weary traveller. Yes, thank you, thank you. So today we're going to talk about some of the interesting uh, developments in the tech world and uh, some of those things that are, that are related to out-of-office work. We've seen a number of big players uh, making plays. Sometimes they're buying other companies, sometimes they're launching new software. And some of those things are very much consumer applications, but they have uh, they do have relevance for the workplace as well, and in particular for working out of office. So we're going to talk about some of those, some of the recent trends, uh, some of the recent developments you may have heard about in the news or read about, and how they might apply to you as an out of office worker. So how you can use those technologies in your own work, but also as a leader or manager or business owner, how you can take advantage of them to improve your team's way of working, um, especially working in a distributed team or out of office using some of these technologies. So we'll just go through them. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about what the technology is and then how it could perhaps apply in the workplace and then in the out-of-office workplace. Cool. Well, let's start then with cloud collaboration, Gihan. So cloud technologies are really important and they're, they're key to working out of office and having distributed teams. And recently, Microsoft acquired the LinkedIn professional social network. And this was yet another in a series of acquisitions by Microsoft that expands their abilities to support cloud-based collaboration. So as well as LinkedIn, they've also acquired this company called Yammer. And that's a collaboration tool for teams. And it's a bit like Slack or HipChat, if you're familiar with those. They're basically these channels where teams can communicate. They can send text messages to one another or they can share files and they can update, update each other on the progress of the work that they're doing together or ask questions. So Yammer enables that for teams and Microsoft acquired them. And people probably are familiar with Microsoft's acquisition of Skype, which is a video and teleconferencing um, technology. As well as those acquisitions, Microsoft has also launched Office 365, and that adds cloud support to Microsoft's out-of-office uh, out suite. <laughs> it makes their Office suite an out-of-office suite. So Microsoft is late to the cloud collaboration party, and so they've been playing catch-up by acquiring these technologies rather than building them themselves uh, out of Office 365 aside. So as a consequence, they've got these disparate tools that aren't yet seamlessly integrated. If you compare their offerings with, say, Google's, so with Google, you sign in with your Google ID, and if you get a Gmail message that's got an attachment, you can save that to Google Drive just by clicking on it. Then in Google Drive, you can open up in Google Docs, and if you want to share it with someone, then you click on the collaboration button, and all of the contacts that you have or all of your um, Google Plus circles are there to share that content with. It all just happens because all of Google's cloud-based technologies are well integrated, and Atlassian, who offer a similar suite of tools, all of those play nicely together. 
Um, and in addition to that, there are even tools like Zapier that allow you to cleverly integrate and automate um, different web apps. Um, so that's another way that you can integrate these cloud collaboration tools. But I'm sure that Microsoft are going to be working hard to make all of their disparate tools that they've acquired or built themselves play nicely and work well together. Yes, and I think the, the point is, Chris, that despite the fact that we've got things like Google and Atlassian and Zapier that are perhaps better technology-wise, um, for most organizations around the world, they don't care. They don't care because they're using Office, they're using Windows, and now Microsoft has got a whole suite of tools that allows them to use that better. So because it's entrenched, because it's already there, it's like people who, um, when, they, when they're using Apple products, they won't use anything else, whether or not they're be- uh, the other things are better, simply because they've got the platform. And so there's a whole bunch of organizations, businesses, uh, large government departments who will now be able to collaborate better simply because they've already got this established platform of uh, Windows and Office. And now they can add things like, as you said, they've acquired LinkedIn. So now they've got access to a whole big data, professional database. They've already bought Skype, so you can do video conferencing. And uh, once those things get integrated, whether they're a little bit clunky or not, it won't matter because it'll be just as just as valuable um, for most people around the world. It'll be more valuable than trying to switch over to something like Google Atlassian or trying to integrate things with Zapier. Yeah. And, and all of this means that uh, virtual collaboration becomes much, much easier. And that's really great for out-of-office workers and distributed teams because uh, people who are using Microsoft Office already can now use uh, can now use a cloud for collaboration. And uh, I've got Office 365. I don't use the collaboration features, but I do have the subscription. And I see from time to time when it upgrades, it says, oh, you can now collaborate this way. And, uh, and I don't use them for collaboration, but it is something that uh, I can see a lot of offices and a lot of businesses are really going to take advantage of. And it's really going to make out-of-office work a lot easier because you won't have to be sharing files through your Dropbox folder or putting things in Google Docs, which is still pretty clunky compared to Microsoft Word. All of that will suddenly be seamless. Yeah, and when I say suddenly, I guess I mean eventually. But, <laughs> but uh, that's that's where we're going. And for the people who've already got that established platform, this is a, this is a huge step forward, uh, especially for out of office work. Okay, so that's cloud collaboration. The second thing that's happened is video streaming. And video streaming has been around for a while, but the thing that's making all, all, the, all the news at the moment is Facebook Live. And because it's Facebook, uh, everyone's jumping on the, on the bandwagon. So Facebook Live is you pull out your, pull out your phone, uh, turn the camera towards yourself. So you turn the, the, front, is it the front facing or the rear facing camera, the one that uh, allows you to take selfie videos. And then you just do live video streaming. And uh, it really... Even though video streaming has been around for a while, the fact that Facebook's doing it, um, really, it's a bit of a turning point because uh, things like this have been, have been there for a while. It was available on Twitter last year with Periscope, and that had a bit of a lukewarm reception, even though a lot of people started using it. Um, and there are other things like Blab, which has multi-user video streaming, and again, that was linked into Twitter. But again, the reception wasn't that great. And Google's had it for a long time, or a few years, with Google Hangouts on air. And uh, I would say if the, if the Twitter interaction their integrations were lukewarm. This was even this was even less less than lukewarm. But the technology has been there for a while. But now Facebook has has made it mainstream, and uh, you can't uh, connect to Facebook these days without seeing a little notification saying um, Chris Padney is live or somebody else is live uh, live right now or uh, live and the recordings available. So it really has made it. Uh, it has made it mainstream, and it's easy. Uh, lots of people are doing it. Uh, lots of people aren't doing it well, but 
uh, the technology is there and people are becoming familiar with it. Uh, one of my friends, Ed K. Smith, who's an online marketer, he had a bit of a rant on, on Facebook recently about people using Facebook Live, uh, just saying, look, just stop doing it. <laughs> like, stop doing it unless you're willing to do it well. The, the couple of points that he raised, a couple of points that he raised, he says that the, the quality of the videos, uh, even though they're, they're candid videos and they're in the moment, um, because of that, they're not that great. The, the technical quality is great, but people are just wandering around on the streets, there's background noise, they're, they're, they're unscripted and unprepared and unrehearsed. And so uh, if you're doing that, especially as a business, and that, that's reflecting on your brand. However, in the workplace, the fact that you can do live video streaming can be really valuable because if you, in an in-office team, if you pop your head over a cubicle wall or a partition and you're talking to somebody, it is unscripted, it is unprepared, it is unrehearsed. And then if you have the technology to do that as an out-of-office worker with the same kind of, um, the same kind of quality, then it's still just as effective. So I think that's really where it's going to help workplaces and especially distributed teams and out-of-office workplaces that now we've got video conferencing that's mainstream, it's easy to use and it's affordable and it doesn't mean you have to use Facebook Live but people no longer think that you have to have this really high quality Cisco um, video conferencing room set up in order to be able to do video conferencing. They know they can do it from their phone so it just reduces that barrier to thinking oh I need to do a video conference. So Facebook Live has really made video conferencing and video streaming something that's going to become common in the workplace as well. And it can be two-way. So um, Facebook Live videos are one way, but you can have obviously video conferencing is two-way. Um, but you can do it for things like demos and walkthroughs. I can imagine uh, walking around an office with uh, holding up your phone and you're doing a live video as you're walking walking around the office. And, and that could be useful because if people are working in different locations, they may want to show their location to other members of the team who aren't there. So uh, yeah, we don't quite know the applications of this yet, but I think it's going to be really useful. So let's move on to the really big story of recent times, Kihan, and that relates to augmented reality. And I'm sure everyone who's listening to the podcast will have heard of Pokemon Go. And if they're in the 15 to 35 demographic, then they've probably played Pokemon Go. Um, And it's been massive. I think it's been the most popular, the most downloaded mobile app in both the Android Google Play Store and in um, Apple's iTunes Store. And I think the last number that I heard, and that was a while ago, was over 20 million people. So it's been massively successful. And um, basically what it is, is that uh, you, you wander around. Have you played it, Gihan? I think you have. Haven't I you? haven't, but um, Nikki's son Josh showed me how it works. So we wandered around the park one day just playing it and he just, he just demonstrated it to me. That's right. Okay, so wandering is part of the game, isn't it? You wander around the real world searching for these Pokemon critters and they appear on your phone as if they were in the real world. And I guess the big thing about this, this is why we've included it, is because that means that millions of people now know what augmented reality is, and many of them have actually experienced it for themselves. Um, so when you play this game, you're looking for these Pokemon characters. They appear on your phone as a cartoon-like character that's projected onto the image of the real world that your phone's camera is capturing. So what it's doing is it's blending this virtual Pokemon world with the real physical world that's captured by your camera. And that's, this really means that augmented reality is going to be big. It's big now. 
And it's, it's different from virtual reality, which people probably also heard of, in that virtual reality or VR, you enter a simulated world and you move around in that, whereas with augmented reality or AR, what that does is it brings parts of a simulated world into the real world. Yeah, and this is still a very early application of augmented reality because it's, you're talking about using it on your phone. But in the near future, you're going to have um, glasses or contact lenses, which will then project the augmented, uh, the, the digital world onto your real world. And you see it in some cars now, Chris. So some cars have the, uh, what's it called? A heads up display. The heads up yeah, display. Right. Yeah, my mum's car's got it. It's quite distracting. <laughs> is it? Is it? So we're yeah. driving along. And well, you can describe it. You can describe it from yeah, experience. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, you're driving along. You're looking through the windscreen, but projected onto the windscreen um, is augmented information. So what speed are you doing? Even the ca- it also knows where you are through GPS. So it tells you what the speed limit is for where you're located, which is a really useful thing. You can't say to the cops, ah, I didn't see the sign because <laughs> the sign is always being projected onto the screen for you. So, yeah, it just provides you, it augments your real world with information about that's relevant to the driving experience. That's right. And if you're doing things like navigation, you, it, instead of saying turn left in 100 metres from now, you'll actually see a little bar showing where you should be turning or a little point. That's right. So th- that's, yep. it, that's exactly what augmented reality is. And as you say, with Pokemon Go, suddenly millions of people around the world have, uh, have a real experience of it. And I think in business, uh, in a lot of businesses, it's going to be, quite useful, but probably less so for out-of-office workers and more for people who are in office or working in a warehouse or working in a factory where they're walking around and uh, or maybe work on a building site. As you walk around, you can see the, uh, as something's been constructed, you can choose to see what it's going to look like. You can see uh, specifications for the construction material. If you're walking around a factory and you're looking at stock on a shelf or a warehouse, then you can see information about that stock. Um, you know, you Go and pick something off a pallet. Uh, it guides you to the, the right pallet in the warehouse. So s- those sort of things are going to be uh, much easier and much less uh, uh, much less friction involved in those because you've got augmented reality. Um, for digital nomads, if you think about out of office work, uh, as we're travelling around, then maybe our world is augmented uh, with other information. For example, if I'm looking for a cafe with Wi-Fi, then uh, there are apps which will help you find ca- uh, places with uh, with Wi-Fi, and uh, the augmented version of that will be just my glasses or my contact lenses or my phone will be telling me that here I am in a place and this has got Wi-Fi or here's how to get to a place with Wi-Fi. So it does have some applications. Uh, at the moment, it's still pretty early days, but it is something that, uh, especially as more people know about it now, uh, it'll, it'll have a faster adoption. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think those, as you say, there's a bit of friction now that we rely on using our smartphones to get that augmented reality experience. But with time, the technology for Google for glasses, we've, I was going to mention Google Glasses was a, a prototype um, implementation of that kind of visor experience or smart contact lenses. I think they will come. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you also mentioned virtual reality, Chris, which is the, the flip of augmented reality. And uh, that's the next thing that we'll talk about because, um, as you said, the difference is that rather than projecting the, the digital world onto the physical world, virtual reality does the other way around. So you can, you can experience what it's like to live in, in like an imaginary world. So it's a computer generated simulation of a real world environment and you can, you can interact with it. And uh, you have things like a, like a headset and gloves so that you get the full, um, the full immersive experience. And it used to be, as it's been around for a while, but it used to be really bulky and uncomfortable and expensive to use, but uh, it's got a lot better. And the, the, in the early versions of the software were 
quite low resolution and uh, people would get really bad headaches when they were using it mm-hmm. because uh, because the, the experience of simulating the real world was difficult. Uh, but hardware has become much faster. Um, the, the software has become much better. Uh, the, the actual device that you use to experience virtual reality has become um, almost free. In fact, I bought Google Cardboard, which is something that uh, turns your uh, smartphone into a virtual reality headset, and that cost me 10 or 15 bucks. No, ordered. That's lazy, Gihan. You should have printed it out. And exactly. Cut it, cut it out exactly. The other option is to print it out and do it yourself. But uh, I decided to uh, to splurge and spend fifteen bucks on uh, on buying it. So it's great. And if you haven't, if you have never tried any sort of virtual reality, then you should. I think you should um, invest fifteen bucks and turn your smartphone into a virtual reality headset and just see. Just try out some of the free applications uh, because it, they really will give you an idea of what's coming up in the future. And one of the best indicators that this is going to be big is that Facebook um, acquired Oculus Rift which is one of the biggest virtual reality technology companies uh, because you can really imagine that Facebook wants to turn their online world into more of a real experience so rather than you interacting on your phone by typing messages into into a Facebook post or joining a Facebook group and interacting by text. They want you to put on a headset and suddenly you're in that Facebook group or you're connecting with your friends or your friends are in the same experience that you're having when you're away on holidays. Uh, so that sort of thing is is not that far away. Um, it really is. Um, the technology is there. It's just not all connected yet. Yes, Gihan. So Oculus Rift is is a fantastic visor. Lauren and I had a play with one the other day at the uh, the Curtin University Open Day, and it really is a great experience. It's worth trying out if you if you want to take a step up from Google Cardboard and you can get your hands on something like um, Oculus Rift, then that'll be great. And I think Facebook really does want to make it possible to consume and create VR experiences as easily as we currently do with video and and share that on Facebook. So they they're making sure that um, things like Oculus Rift are going to be a success. They've acquired them and they want to um, commodify and make VR experiences really easy to create and consume. Yeah, yeah. And this is one example where it's really clear to see the applications for the future workforce and the workplace and for out-of-office work because the, one of the things with out-of-office work is that the, by definition you're out of office. So how do you create and simulate that experience of being in an office? And you can certainly use, imagine where virtual reality can be used for that. And for example, just with, the, just with Google Cardboard, one of the apps that's available free is called Virtual Speech. And it's for people who want to practice public speaking. And they're a little bit nervous and before they get in front of a real audience, they can get in front of a virtual audience. So I tried this. You upload your slides, uh, your PowerPoint slide deck to the app, and then you put on your um, Google Cardboard headset, and uh, you can choose which environment you're in. You're in a um, big hall or in a small meeting room. You can choose sort of what sort of audience you've got, whether it's a friendly audience or a, or a bored audience. <laughs> <laughs> Do that, does anyone have yes, well, you, yes, you get people yawning. So if you, if you choose <laughs> the bored great. version um, where the audience is bored or unresponsive, there are people yawning, there are people on their smartphones. I think somebody stands up and walks out <laughs> partway through your presentation. Um, but what you do, it, it's quite a, real, like a realistic experience. Uh, and some of the 
some of the characters in there, they don't look like real people. They're, they're kind of like computer-generated avatars, but it's still pretty effective. So you stand up there, you present. When you turn your head left or right, you can see the screen behind you showing your slides. You press a button and it moves on to the next slide, as, as you would do in a real room. Um, and then there's the audience. Some of them are responsive, some of them are not. You can choose what kind of audience you want. You can walk around the stage and uh, the your, your view changes as you would normally expect. Uh, so it is quite a realistic experience. And that's just one person involved in this experience. But as soon as this becomes collaborative, this is what's going to transform offices. So you can imagine walking into a virtual meeting room and your other colleagues walk in as well, but your colleagues don't have to be physically in the same location. They can be colleagues from all around the world. So this is kind of the end of video conferencing. So instead of just watching people on video, you literally feel like you're walking into a room, sitting down with them and talking and interacting with them. You can stand up and walk over and work together and write on a virtual whiteboard. So everyone's, again, sharing stuff. Uh, You can create uh, 3D objects, something you can't do in a real meeting room, but um, there's there's some there are uh, there's some experimental software that allows you to actually do prototyping and and creating objects by hand uh, that other people in the room can then see. And again, again that's not only um, creating the same environment as a real meeting room, but it actually enhances it as well. So there's there there is a lot of effort being put into VR at the moment. In fact, I just read uh, just very recently in the last couple of days, Chris, that Google is um, going to pretty soon launch its daydream operating system. You can think of it like uh, in the way, in the same way that Android or iOS are the operating systems for smartphones. Daydream is the operating system for virtual reality. So it's the, the software that runs it. There's like an app store. So the, that whole platform is going to be available soon. And uh, Google, like everything else it does, will just open it up to the world. And suddenly we'll see this influx of virtual reality apps. Excellent. Excellent. So I think I think somewhere else that virtual reality has potential is in extending the reach of telecommuting to jobs that, are, that traditionally require workers to be on site because they need to operate machinery or equipment that is fixed in place. So VR might enable this kind of work to be done remotely. And we're beginning to see that trend right here in Western Australia with the remote operation of mine sites. So in Perth, we're familiar with seeing the high-vis FIFO crowd um, at the airport. These are um, mine workers who are fly-in, fly-out, wearing high-visibility clothing. Uh, and they're waiting to catch these charter flights up to the mine sites that are in the northwest of Western Australia. And this involves shifting thousands of workers, thousands of kilometres each week, and it's extraordinarily expensive for the mining companies, as well as being really stressful for the workers themselves and their families. So what the mining companies are doing is they've set up these large teleoperation centres here in Perth so they don't need to shift all of their workers to the mine sites. Instead, those workers can work from the relative comfort of Perth and VR is part of the teleoperation solution because it allows you to provide a high-fidelity, immersive and interactive experience of a remote location. So I think um, the next step, so VR and teleoperations allow to work sh- to shift the work from a remote location to another location, I think the next step will be work shifting that teleoperations work away from the office, the teleoperation mm-hmm. centres, to wherever the workers want to work, whether it's from home or whilst they're on the move. Time shifting might be a little bit more difficult. I think you'll have to do your shift on the truck or whatever, um, but certainly work shifting the location is going to be possible.
Yeah, exactly right, Chris. And, and we're talking about, as you say, we're moving from one work location to another, and that's the first step. But this, uh, the the future step, and we've talked about this in a past podcast episode, is that people will work from uh, wherever they choose to work, not necessarily from an office, whether that office is Perth or remote or anywhere else. It doesn't matter. The technology will be good enough that you can work from wherever you choose to work and still get the work done. So that's where people work. Let's talk about how people work. And the, the news story that we're talking about here is that Google DeepMind's AlphaGo artificial intelligence uh, program defeated the World Go champion. And Go is one of these games that has been a real, um, a real challenge for things like artificial intelligence because the number of um, moves or, or gameplays in Go is some massive number. It's more than a Google. It's more than maybe even a Googleplex. And that means it's not amenable to techniques that we've used in the past for games like chess, where artificial intelligence just enumerates all the possible moves from the current board, checks out each of those moves, works out which one is most optimal, and makes that move. And that's how Gary Kasparov was beaten by um, Deep Blue back in last century sometime. AlphaGo is not amenable to that kind of brute force approach. AlphaGo had to take a completely new approach. And one of the, um, one of the outcomes of this defeat was, um, well, I'll, I'll quote Google here. They said, this test bodes well for AI's potential in solving other problems. AlphaGo has the ability to look globally across a board and find solutions that humans either have been trained not to play or would not consider. This has potential for using AlphaGo-like technology to find solutions solutions that humans don't necessarily see in other areas. So what happened was when AlphaGo played against the world champion, it made moves that were com- a complete surprise to experts in this particular game. They, they, they were really, really quite striking and shocking. And it means that, they, that AlphaGo was doing things humans wouldn't even consider doing and was doing things better than humans could do. So I think that was a real landmark move for artificial intelligence with this, with this new AlphaGo approach. <laughs> I think that's right, Chris, and I think the, the key here is that a lot of people who are thinking about the future of uh, AI, artificial intelligence, they kind of think, okay, well, computers will never be as good as humans because they can't do certain things that humans can do, but they do that from the viewpoint that uh, the way that humans learn is the way that computers are going to learn. So they say, oh, well, computers can't understand empathy because that's a, that's a truly human emotion and a truly human skill, and yet computers can understand empathy, and they, but they do it in a very different way because they learn it in a very different way. Yeah, absolutely, Gihan. So following on from virtual reality enabling teleoperations, there you have humans in the loop when work is getting done. So artificial intelligence might take human workers out of the loop altogether by enabling autonomous machines. And if, again, if we go back to the example of Western Australia's mining industry, we're beginning to see the application of driverless vehicle technologies employed by mining companies to make their trucks and trains autonomous. Um, but driverless vehicles aren't the only area where AI is being applied to job automation. I think one of the overlooked stories in AI of the past few weeks, Kihan, I don't know whether you heard, of, heard about this, was uh, a guy, Joshua Broder. He was a student, and he developed a Twitter chatbot called at do not pay, and it helped people overturn uh, about 160,000 parking tickets in London and New York City. And I think uh, the amount involved was uh, about $3 million worth of fines. 
And as I say, Joshua Broder was a student. He did this in his spare time. And this wasn't cutting edge AI. This was nothing more than what was called what's called an expert system. And that's 1960s artificial mm. intelligence. It just programmed it with a few simple rules about parking infringements that help people navigate how to overturn their parking tickets. And he's now going to apply the same kind of approach to people who are seeking public housing and shelter. So it means that some tasks in legal advice and financial advice are ripe for automation using relatively simple AI. And if that's something that simple AI can tackle, um, then I reckon many jobs are amenable to being automated by AI, uh, including my own job, Gihan, software development. In fact, nobody's job is safe. I've just been reading a book, The Future of the Professions, which was uh, where the two authors talk about exactly these professions, Chris. So things like legal advice, financial advice, any kind of expertise where we've relied on professionals who've got that expertise to be able to solve problems for us. Expertise is something which is very easy, relatively so now, uh, for to be automated um, and to be managed by computer software. And uh, you say that no, no one's job is safe, that the, the institute the Institute for the Future suggests that there are certain skills that might be safe and uh, maybe they're just uh, we're running a little bit ahead of the machines and so they might be safe for uh, a short time but still these are not necessarily jobs but skills that that humans have that uh, at the moment we can't envisage can be automated or um, they can be outsourced but not necessarily automated and some of those skills are really interestingly and perhaps uh, optimistically for out-of-office workers are skills that out-of-office workers have anyway so the ability to so virtual collaboration is one of those skills, the ability to, co- to collaborate and communicate effectively with people when they're not in the same room. And things like cross-cultural competency, so being able to manage um, interactions with people from different cultures, different backgrounds, different attitudes, um, different languages, although language translation is something that is automated now and is going to be uh, much more mainstream in the future and things like a design mindset so at the moment computers and software are really good at solving problems once they know what the problem is and once they're given a with the good things like pattern recognition and then they're given a process to follow but not yet as good when they're given a new situation and they're asked to create a process to achieve a certain outcome and a repeatable process. So generally it's people, it's humans who create those processes and then they put the computers into the, into the process workflow. And uh, particularly out of office workers, uh, many of them have to work with not only processes at work, but also integrate that with, uh, with their life as well because they choose out of office work because of their lifestyle. And so they have to design processes that work effectively. Um, and they perhaps have more of a need to do that than people who work in an office where a lot of their routine is set for them. So there is some hope for out-of-office workers to, to stay ahead of the rise of the machines. <laughs> yes, it does bode well for us um, out-of-office workers. But yeah, um, it's these soft skills, Kihan, that I think are more, more difficult for AI, but um, time will tell. One of the big skills is initiative, Chris. Uh, there, I saw some research recently. Uh, you may have come across it where the, there's, the research showed that people who were using uh, the Chrome browser or the Firefox browser were rated as more intelligent and were more successful at work than people who used uh, Internet Explorer or um, the Apple one. What's the Apple one called? Safari. 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 Yeah. <laughs> the reasoning behind this, and it's not that you can go, okay, if I want to get a promotion, well, let me download Chrome or Firefox. That, that's not the conclusion. The, 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 
the reasoning behind this is that Chrome and Firefox don't get installed by default on your computer. Whereas if you've got Windows, Internet Explorer is installed by default. If you've got a Mac, then Safari is installed by default. So the reasoning was not so much the cause and correlation was the other way around. So the sort of people who would go out of their way to investigate and experiment and try out some other browser than what was just handed to them were the sort of people who had the sort of the initiative and the the flexibility and the the discipline to try out new things. They were the sort of people who were more likely to be promoted anyway. So those sort of soft skills, as out of office workers, um, many of us have to develop those sort of things because the the work environment is not set up for out of office work generally. So. Organizations are moving towards that, but still there's a heavy bias towards making life easy for people who work in an office. So out-of-office workers are quite often left to their own devices, literally, and their own software and their own workflows and their own processes, and they have to figure out how to make work work. And so some of the skills they need to make that work effectively are the sort of skills that are going to be useful and valuable in the future. Yeah, okay. Okay, so uh, still talking about this idea of artificial intelligence, we're going to have, even if people don't take, even if computers don't take over our jobs, they will certainly assist us. So we will have humans and artificial intelligence in the loop, Uh, just as we do have humans and software um, computers working together now really well, but the, the... Artificial intelligence software is going to be doing a little bit of our our thinking for us. And I think it applies particularly for leaders and managers. Uh, Many of the tasks that they do on a day-to-day basis um, are fairly mundane. You know, scheduling meetings, planning timelines, um, organizing and requesting and allocating resources. These are sort of things that can be done by software. Um, And even at at an individual worker level, uh, recently I heard about some software that does and basically takes on the work of an administrative assistant or a PA or a VA or an EA um, with things like scheduling meetings. So the software will interpret an email from from you, Chris, saying, hey, can we meet next Friday? And it'll figure out what next means um, based on what day the, the email was sent. It'll then look up my calendar and look up what time I'm available on Friday and um, compose a reply to you saying, yes, I'm available at these times and these time slots, uh, allowing for gaps for travel between meetings and so on. And then it'll interpret your response. And if you have an artificially intelligent software at your end, uh, we have our two little uh, intelligent bots communicating with each other and scheduling a meeting without any interaction at all on our behalf, except to see some, it pops up in a calendar and then we turn up and meet. So that sort of software is available and that takes away some of the mundane stuff that we do. It doesn't replace our job in any way. It simply makes it easier for, do, for us to do um, a specific job that we've got expertise in. Excellent, Gihan. Well, let's wrap things up then. And I think in conclusion, we can say that it's worth starting to think about how we might take advantage of some of these developments, whether it's in your daily routine or how your teams work. So, for instance, if you use Microsoft Office, consider whether it's worth upgrading to Office 365 if you haven't already so that you can enable cloud collaboration. And just so you know, that doesn't involve having to upgrade to Windows 10. When it comes to things like Facebook Live or more generally video conferencing, is this something that you and your team can use? And what about AR or VR? Are there jobs that currently require people to work on site that have the potential to be work shifted through technologies like AR and VR? 
And finally, perhaps there's uh, something like the intelligent agent that you described, Gihan, that schedules meeting for you. Can you uh, take advantage of that in your work? Or perhaps something even not so intelligent, something like Zapier, could be used to automate some of your workflow. So just start thinking about how some of these developments could be exploited by you. Great. And I really enjoy talking about this, Chris, because it is, it's a little bit speculative, but some of it is really practical and feasible. And um, I think most people don't realize how close some of this technology is, how near we are to be able to take advantage of it. So thanks, Chris. A very interesting conversation as usual. We'll be back again soon with another topic. If you want to find out more, you can get uh, our podcast notes at outofofficebook.com and also listen to some of our uh, earlier podcasts, particularly one where we talked about a day in the life of a future out-of-office worker, where we looked a little bit further ahead. Uh, But again, it might give you some ideas about where we might be heading Great, Gihan, and we'll be back in about a month's time with another episode of the podcast. Until then, bye for now. Bye, Chris. Thanks. Visit our website at outofofficebook.com where you can read all our show notes, subscribe to the podcast, and get our book out of office. We wish you all the best in creating the work style of your choice.